0: My name is Nick. Um, I am uh, the lead pastor here. I am happy to bring God's word to you this morning, and uh, most mornings. That being said, I don't actually have a specific text for us this morning. I usually do. Um, we've been crawling through the Book, book of Luke uh, the past uh, well, a couple of years now. And um, but this morning, I'm going to take things a little bit more topically with you guys. Um, but before I begin, want to want to pray. So would you would you pray with me? can we quiet our hearts? I don't think my life, my home, is the only one that in the midst of this season um, can sometimes feel chaotic. All the gifts and all the parties or all the the activities, the things we like to do, and the traffic and the shopping and the cooking, and it, it all is wonderful in many ways, and yet, Lord, We can lose you in the middle of it. We can miss the point of it all. So Jesus, we don't have that much time together here this morning. But what time we do have, I pray that you would make it count. I pray that by your spirit, you would show up in this place. I pray that you would use my words, you would use your word to manifest the wonder, the glory of the incarnation of Christmas to us afresh, So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that feel appropriately in response to what you reveal in your word. It's in your name that I ask these things. Amen. Um, Let me just begin this way. Behind everything that you and I do, it seems to me, is this driving, motivating desire or even longing to be valued. By someone. Say this again. Behind everything that you and I do. Is this driving, motivating, desire, even longing. To be valued by someone. If you don't believe me, let's flesh this out. This is why the woman spends hours in front of the mirror getting the hair and the makeup and the things just right hoping that when she finally does leave the house maybe just maybe someone will notice her maybe someone will value her this is why the man puts in 60 hours a week in the office, and then even when he comes home, he's not really home. He's on his phone, he's on his laptop, he's still working. If I knock this project out of the park, upper management will have to acknowledge me. I'll have to get that promotion. I'll get that salary. I'll get that car or that house. I'll get that status. I'll be valued. People will see I am worth something. My dad was here for Thanksgiving, and um, he's an awesome guy. He, He was telling me, it's so funny how you know your parents, and yet you don't actually know them. I, At least you realize how much, at least I did, I realized how little of his story I actually knew. So you start asking, wait, why this? And what was this? And what happened there? One of the things we started talking about was um, the job that he had when I was just a, a boy. And he he basically was kind of part owner in this even bigger kind of international large company. And... Um, he was kind of oversaw this region, uh, a company in this region and he never stopped working, never stopped working. Um, and when I asked him why, here's what he said. He said, well, he stopped for a moment. He thought about it and He said, well, every year. They would have the the, kind of the big wigs in the company, the real up and ups would uh, have this convention where they would gather in every region and all the people from all around the world or whatever. And they would come in for this convention and at this convention um, they would essentially parade up on the stage, the high profile, big time producers, you know, the guys, the, 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 um, the storefronts or whatever it is that really did well and the management there. And they would have a chance to talk. They would have a chance to do whatever. And he said, you know what? When I really think about what motivated me. I'm sorry to say, it, but I wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be seen. In other words, I wanted to be valued. So why do you work 60 70 whatever it is? Why do you neglect kids or family whatever it is? I want to be valued by someone. This is why when you post something on Facebook, you check in every couple of minutes to see Man, did I get any likes? Did I get any comments? Am I, am I the only one who's that vain? That's why I don't post very often. I can't handle it. Because I post something and then I'm going, what do they think? What do they think of me? Does anybody value me out there? What do all my fans have to say? Oh, one like? Come on, man. I'm worth more than that. Right? Just silly stuff like that. But think about it. Think about it. Watch your own heart. Is it not true? And sorry to get heavy with kids in the room, but if we were to take this to its most probably extreme example, is this not the reason why people take their own lives? Is this not? I mean, sometimes they leave a letter. Sometimes they don't. But it's not possibly one of the longings of their heart, one of the motivating things behind this if you kind of get in there is nobody valued me while I was here. Well, maybe just maybe they won't forget me when I go out this way. They won't be able to ignore me now. So again, behind everything that you and I do, In this, um, I think, is this driving, motivating desire, even longing to be valued by someone. I don't know precisely how it shows up in your life, but I would guarantee that it's there. You say, Nick, I I thought this was Christmas. What in the world are you doing? Here's the point of all this. Christmas, while it means countless things on countless different layers, and I could bring out so many different things and implications from it, Christmas at least means this. You and I are unimaginably valuable to God. You and I are unimaginably valuable to God. What you are desiring is, Longing for, can at last be found in God through Christ. I'm going to pack this with the rest of our time together, just asking two simple questions, trying to answer those, and then we'll, uh, we'll draw a conclusion, okay? First question I want to ask is this, how do I know, how do I know that I'm valuable to God? Yeah, Nick, okay, you're, you're right. I long for that. I desire to, to, to feel like I, I, I mean something. Like my life counts for something. Like I'm valued by someone. But how do I know that I'm valued, that I'm valuable to God? For some of us, the news here might seem too good to be true. Okay? I'm not naive enough to think that all our stories have just been, you know, uh, rose-rimmed glasses, whatever, everything's gone well. I'm aware that for a lot of us, and we've been rejected, our story is one of people abusing us people devaluing us, people turning away from us, people spitting on us in effect, whether that's parent or it's spouse or ex-spouse or it's teacher or even pastor. You feel like, man, yes, I long for such a thing, but man, in your heart, you kind of go, there's no way I'm ever going to be valued by anybody. You've already kind of resigned to the fact that You know what? Maybe what everyone has always said about me is in fact true. Namely, I'm just trash. Just somebody kicks me over to this side of the curb. Somebody kicks me over to that side of the curb. But I belong on the curb. I'm just trash. So how do I know that I'm valuable to God? What makes me so confident in this room this morning, that you are valuable to God. Well, again, in a word, Christmas. I want you to think about it with me. How do you know if something is valuable to another person? How do you determine such a thing? Is there a way of knowing? I think one of the things that we look at, right, is uh, what he or she is willing to give to get it. You can tell that somebody thinks this or that is valuable by what they are willing to give to get it. And in the case of you and I, brothers and sisters, we'll, we'll get here, but for who knows why God, the Holy, the almighty, the creator of all things, God lays down his son, gives his only beloved son for me. That's what Christmas is about, sending his son into the world for you and for me to gain us. If you don't know any Bible, the one verse you might know is John 3.16. God so loved the world. How do we know that he gave his only son? Because his love was so great, because he so valued us beyond what we could imagine, He saw fit to give His only Son that He might gain us. He cannot communicate any more clearly than this, I don't think. You and I are unimaginably valuable to God. That is one massive implication of the manger. Let me just show you How this plays out in Jesus' ministry for a moment. Because we also see this mark, his whole earthly ministry. We see it in his actions. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. I'd love for you guys to join us when we pick back up next week if you haven't been here already. But we've seen it in his actions when he eats with the tax collector or when he touches the leper when he heals the sick, or when he embraces the prostitute, welcomes her, or when he provides for the destitute and the hungry and the needy, what is he doing but say man, I find value in people that society has thrown to the curb, like your fellow man might look at you and go outcast." Loser, nobody, no hope, no value. But God sends his son and his son moves towards those kinds of people. In essence saying that, whatever they say about you, that's not what my heavenly father says. You mean a lot. You mean more than you can imagine to us. That's why I'm here. We can hear it in Jesus' teaching. Not only see it in his actions, hear it in his teaching. Let me just read you a few texts. Jesus is talking here to his disciples. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He goes on and says, therefore don't be anxious. You mean something to your father, to your creator. You mean something to him. There's value there. That's Matthew six, twenty six and thirty one. Now Matthew ten, twenty nine through thirty one, he's speaking again. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Where well, there's this scene in Matthew 12, verses 11 and 12, where Jesus is going to heal this guy on the Sabbath. And the, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders are angry that he would work on the Sabbath like this. And Jesus responds in this way. Which one of you has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good to a man on the Sabbath. And then he reaches out and he heals this brother's withered hand. You mean something to my father. There is value And though for, he takes and those who've been created in his image and he's come to love and move towards and restore. You might think of the parables in Luke 15, just incredible pictures that Jesus gives us when he talks about, you want to know what my kingdom's like? You want to know what I'm doing here on this earth? Well, I'll give you a couple of analogies. It's like I'm a shepherd and you are a sheep that's lost. And this shepherd is going to scour the countryside for that one. And when he finds that one, he's going to call together his friends. And they're going to celebrate through the night. Because you mean something to my father. Or You want to know what it's like? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm a woman who's lost a coin. It's somewhere in her house. So she's dusting and looking everywhere because she desperately wants that coin and when she finds it, she calls her neighbors and she parties through the night because you mean something to my father and to me. And of course, the clearest view of all this in his earthly ministry is what we're given when we follow him from the manger to the cross, from Bethlehem to Calvary, right? Right? Because it's on the cross where Jesus speaks these words. In the Greek, it's telesthetai. Which essentially means, sometimes translated, it is finished. Could be translated, paid in full. In other words, I am purchasing my people on the cross. I am dying to gain them. Paid in full. Paid in full. This is why Peter, when I was trying to identify a text that might be my text for this morning, this was the one first Peter one eighteen to nineteen, but say if you come away with anything I want you to hear this. You were ransomed, Peter says when he's talking about what Jesus did on the cross, when he's talking about our salvation, he says, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The word precious there, sorry to get technical again, but it's important. In the Greek, it means costly. It means of great worth, of great value. So you have been ransomed, brothers and sisters in Christ, not, not by gold or silver, precious metals on their own account, but by the even more precious or costly of great value and worth blood of Jesus Christ. If I could, if I could be scandalous perhaps for a moment, I'll make more sense of this. Some of you are confused by where I'm going, perhaps. But if I could be scandalous for a moment, it's as if God, when he's considering how valuable you are and I am to him, it's as if he opens up his wallet. And he doesn't bring out gold. He doesn't bring out silver. He lays down his Son. He signs that check in Jesus' blood. That's what I am willing to give to get you back. Now that's amazing. That speaks to how valuable, brothers and sisters, we are to Christ. But now you're asking, at least I hope, The second question that I wanted to attempt an answer at today. And that is. Why? Why? Why in the world am I so valuable to God? Why is God willing to lay down his son for me? Beginning in Bethlehem, culminating in Calvary and the cross, why in the world am I valuable to God? Now, some of you might not struggle with this question at all. Some of you are kind of on the other side of the spectrum that I began with there, and you might hear of God valuing you in this way and go, Well, finally somebody gets it. Finally somebody sees how awesome I really am. I always knew I had a good smile. I always knew I had a lot to offer. At least God sees it even if no one else does. Is that what's going on here? Is that what Christmas communicates? That we bring something to the table that God finds so innately valuable in and of itself that he's willing to lay down his son. Is it something in me that evokes this Christmas and cross or is it something in him? Um, there are things that you could say retain or have value in and of themselves to some degree, right? I call it intrinsic value if I were to be technical. I think to give an example of this, I think this might be why. Now, I'm no economic guy. I'm no financial guy. I've come out very clear probably here as I make some mistakes. But I think this is why sometimes people buy gold. Right? Because, hey, listen, well, at the end of the day, this cash in my wallet, it's just paper. In and of itself, it's just paper. It only has value because we say it has value on the outside. But in and of itself, no, no intrinsic value. Now, gold or something like that, while it goes up and down with the market, is at least, at its core, a precious metal. It's at least something that has value in and of itself. So you have something like gold, and then you have this other thing like cash, right? Where some outside, external factor has ascribed value to it. Value that doesn't innately belong there in the first place. Um, As I thought about how to illustrate this even further, I mean, Christmas gives us actually hilarious examples of this sort of thing. I don't know what the latest toy is on the market, but man, there were a number of them when I was a kid where it was just it was down it was almost downright scary how how much people will were willing to give for some of these toys. Anybody remember am I am I aging myself by saying Beanie Babies here? Anybody remember the Beanie Baby thing? Forgive me if you've got an attic right now that's stuffed with like Beanie Babies that you thought were going to be worth a ton. And now they're just collecting dust. but This was crazy. I mean, I look back at some of the stats on this. My aunt was all into it. My family was into it. I look back at some of the stats on this. So here's what you got. You got a little piece of cloth stitched around a few beans, okay? <laughs> and people were going crazy for these things. I mean, I, I was reading stories where people paid up upwards of $5,000 for a toy worth five in and of itself. People were like cashing out on their kids' college uh, funds because they were sure if we invest in Beanie Babies, it's going to come back further. We're going we're to see bigger kickback. I was told when I received them, don't cut the tags off. Don't even play with that. <laughs> Do you know how? I'm like, I said, not let me play with this thing. It's going to be worth so much someday. Or another example that I recall, at least, was the Tickle Me Elmo craze. You guys remember that one? Again, a doll, $7,000 people paying for these things. $7,000 I read. And beyond that, when like Walmart opened its doors and they had a new fresh stock, like I read about guys, Walmart employees, these poor guys, being hospitalized, like suffering concussions because people are coming in for a doll that in and of itself, again, worth maybe 20 bucks. Now here's where I'm going with this in case you're wondering. The intrinsic value of the thing doesn't always correspond to what someone is willing to pay for it. And in the case of Christmas and the cross, in the end, we have to face the fact that we are not valuable to God. Because it's something we have to offer in and of ourselves. He's not investing in gold when he comes for Nick Weber. We don't, we can't add anything to him. In fact, and this is not flattering, this is hard to face, but this is the truth. Biblically speaking, it moves in the the equation moves in the opposite direction, does it not? Where not only do we not add to God with some value that I bring, we actually subtract. We take from Him. We reject Him. We turn. We break what He gives us. We run. Is it not the story of humanity from Eden onward? I don't know if you know the beginning of of the biblical narrative in Genesis. But God creates the world and then he sets man over it. And when he's done, it's as if he kicks back. It says, man, this is very good. He puts us over it to work, to keep, to have dominion over what he has made. He gives us the world and he values us then and there as creatures made in his image. This is very good. And yet. It wasn't good enough for us. I don't just want to be in god's image i don't just want to sit here and be in the presence of god i want to be god I don't want to obey or listen to someone else tell me how the world ought to be run. I want to call the shots for myself. We take, we break, we reject, and we run. That's the story of humanity from Genesis 3 on. And that's going on in yours and my life. Why do you think there are so many fights in the home? Why do you think there is so much conflict in the world? There's not enough room on the throne. It's me. That's where That's where I belong. Not you. It's in our lives, it's in our hearts. David describes the tragic situation well in Psalm 14:2 through3 where he says this, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who act wisely, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I'm sorry not to be optimistic about the innate ability within human beings to produce or to something meaningful or to love God and the scriptures would say otherwise. The picture here is God looking down from heaven going, Man, does anybody? Is there anybody who would look up and pursue me? Is there anybody who cares? The answer, no. So what does he do? Crumple the world up and throw it into the the trash? No. If they won't seek up after me, I will come down after them. That's Christmas. In spite of humanity's Collective rebellion against God, even from Eden. Even from Eden, God has been planning, preparing, promising for Bethlehem. It's amazing. One of the things that that struck me more than anything during my time in seminary was seeing This line that you could draw from Genesis 315 where man falls and God promises a redeemer promises an offspring that would come (laughs) and and you can draw this line. You watch how the whole biblical narrative, all the Old Testament into now the New Testament where Christ, the offspring, the child comes. You can watch how the whole thing is oriented towards when is this child going to come? Keep your eye on this line, on this seed. Israel mattered for that reason. Because the Messiah was going to come. There's one family that's going to bring this child to bear and then he will be for the world. But the crazy thing is, is he shows up in Bethlehem and nobody cares. Won't you see? Everyone in turn doing their own thing. The Son of God in a stable because there's no room for Him in our busy lives. The angels of God in the heavens singing a love song, a love song over a world that couldn't care less about Him. Just a few shepherds would pay it any mind. But He's here None the less. That's amazing. That's what Christmas is all about. So let's get the picture right here for a moment. We are not gold or some other precious metal, and Jesus has come to make a wise investment in us. In our sin, we have incurred an incalculable debt. But Jesus has come. To invest in us anyways. Take on that debt himself. We are not damsels in distress. And our valiant husband has come to rescue us. We are actually, according to the Bible, and I see it in my own life, adulterers, even harlots, the Scriptures, would say, we've run from our husband and we don't want him back. We like all of his stuff, but we don't want him. But the Son of God comes, he will have his bride anyways. You don't want me? That's fine. I'm coming for you because you need me whether you want me or not. We are not God's allies held captive by enemy forces. And Jesus has been sent to kind of come and free us and get us back on his team where we belong. No, the scriptures would say we are the enemies. We are enemies of God in our sin and our rebellion. And yet Jesus comes Anyways, and lets us kill him so that he could gain us and make us friends. We are not model citizens and Jesus has come to bestow on us some reward. We are actually criminals on, on run from the law, guilty of high treason. Punishable by death. But Jesus comes anyways. And he takes that execution we deserve himself. Paul summarizes what I'm saying here well for us in Romans 5, 6 through 8. Listen to this. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died For the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear that? He just sweeps the rug right out from under our ego. He said, you're weak. You're ungodly. There's no righteousness. There's no goodness. But even while we were sinners, God said, they're worth something to me. They're valuable to me. But Here's what we find. It's amazing. The... Uh, <laughs> Two realities are held side by side. In one uh, On one side we see man, we are not valuable to God in and of ourselves. But then in another we see that in his love, because of his grace, we are unimaginably valuable to him. We have nothing to offer and yet we mean his son's life to him. And here's what... Struck me at the end of the day, the manger and the cross, it seems to me, has more to say about the value of God, his glory, his love, his grace, than it actually has to say about my value. Here's what's amazing. As we come to the manger or we come to the cross, we are rather than turned inward with self-adoration, we are thrust outward with adoration for the God who would give heaven's highest treasure to gain earth's lowest creature. We don't go back to the mirror and go, wow, God thinks I'm worth it. How awesome must I be? We go, who in the world am I that God would send his son for me? How awesome is he? Oh, come, let us adore him. So you are incredibly valuable to God. Man, we're so unworthy of it. So unworthy of it. Let me continue, or let me conclude here by bringing this full circle back to where we began. Or I suppose I should answer the question, just so I'm clear. Why am I valuable to God? Why? Answer? I don't know. (laughs) He made you. We we ripped it apart. We left him. We had no. We don't bring anything to him but our debt and our sin. Why would he give his son? I don't know. But it's amazing. Now, bringing it full circle and, and drawing some conclusions here. At first, hearing this sort of thing, we might not like it, right? I don't want to hear that, you know, yeah, sure, God values me, but I'm unworthy of it. That doesn't make me feel so good. I like to know that I'm, you know, I'm valuable in and of myself and I have something to offer and all of these things. And initially we might push that away as offensive or foolish, but I'm telling you, if you let this reality settle on you, you will find that it's exactly what you need. Most let me explain. I want you to think about it for a moment. Does trying to get other people to value you for, you know, by for what you produce or what you bring or what you uh, have to offer apart from God, apart from Jesus, trying to prove you're worth it. Does that ever really work for you? Does it ever last? Does it ever satisfy My contention is that it will not. Why? Because the moment that you get someone to value you for what you bring to the table, while you perhaps are feeling excited, (laughs) that, whoa, look at that, somebody values me, you will be simultaneously struck with anxiety. Because now you have to maintain this. They value me because of what I have I bring to them. So if I stop bringing it, I lose the value. I lose this good feeling. So this 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 momentary joy ends up becoming this kind of lifelong slavery. Trying to keep producing so that I can continue to be valued. Let me return to a couple of those examples. Think about it with me that woman in front of the mirror. She might find a guy to double take her on the street. She might find a guy that wants to take her out or even make her his bride. But if, if she got his attention and kept his attention by her beauty, by her looks, what happens when years and decades go by and that beauty fades? Does she not find herself in a slavery as her man now is going off to you know she sees him double taking the commercials with the pretty ladies on TV or the girls that walk down the street? Does she not get torn up and Go, man? I'm not valuable to how can I get that back? I mean, this is why celebrities in our culture, I mean in, in, in droves, are getting Plastic surgery on every part of their body. Why? Why do you think that is? Because they want to be valued like we said at the beginning. And they've been valued because of their looks. And as they age, here's what's going through their minds. I don't know them, but I would imagine this is the case. The culture valued me when my body looked like that in my 20s and my 30s. Well, what now for me in my 60s if I don't keep that up? They're just going to move on to the next bombshell on the scene. They're going to forget. They don't value me. i got to keep producing or I lose it. So you find yourself in slavery. Same thing. One more example. I'm near the end in case you're worried. The guy at work. The guy laboring 60, 70, 80 hours because he wants that praise. He wants that promotion or whatever it might be. I mean, he might get that promotion. You might get the boss to give you a pat on the back. You might get paraded on a stage. But that momentary joy turns into a lifelong slavery. And you feel it because you go, man, wait a minute. They only value me for what I produce from my numbers. Now I got to keep the pace up. I got to keep the numbers in place. If I don't, they will just kick me to the curb. I'll just get demoted or let go. So you start cutting corners or You start popping pills to keep you awake and alert because you can't slow down even if you're tired, even if you're human. And I think this is what's so amazing about Christmas. This is what's so amazing about the gospel, about the cross, about Jesus. Listen to me. God knows you're a mess. That's why this truth is so important. I know you want somebody to just go, Ooh, you're beautiful for who you are, but you know you're a mess. You know you're broken. You know there's stuff in you that isn't right. You know you're weak. You know you're scared. You know you're getting old and your body's not going to look the same. You know all of these things about you, and yet we try to play the game to get value in the world. And Jesus, stop playing the game. I know that about you already, and I love you anyways. I come for you when you subtract from me. Don't worry. You can take the mask off. It's safe here. You don't bring anything to the table, but you are immeasurably more valuable to me than any value those people ever found in you. Isn't that incredible? Let me think about it. He's not going to leave you when you wake up 30 years from now and your figure isn't what what it once was. You want to know what the scriptures say? Christ comes, gives his life, lays down his life for his bride, and with his word he washes her, he beautifies her. He lays his life down for an adulterer, for a mess. And then he makes her beautiful by his love, by his grace. Don't you see? He doesn't value you because you're beautiful. He he comes in and he values you and loves you, and that's what starts to make you beautiful. Well, God doesn't. He's not going to kick you to the curb if you have an off month at the office. Or you're not producing the good fruits that he's looking for that week. No. The scriptures say the opposite. It says he comes down to a people who don't have any fruit to bear. He comes in and he makes us fruitful. Ephesians 2 would say, man, we are his enemies. We've turned. But God comes in and now we're his workmanship. And there are good works for me to walk in that he's prepared beforehand. So he doesn't love you, value you because of what you produce. It's actually his valuing, loving you, his grace that starts to help you produce. It's this incredible reversal and it's what we so desperately need. This is not slavery. This is what Peter called back in 118, ransom. In other words, freedom from that cycle that destroys. This is what Christmas is all about. Would you pray with me? God, we stand in awe. I think one of the reasons why we sing (laughs) is because it's just this overflow of Emotion and affection, it's a way of communicating something we feel that we can't express otherwise with words. Namely, how, how, why would you do this for us? Why would you come down to a world that didn't care about you in the first place? Why would you pursue us like this, Lord? Why would you love us and help change us? Why would you value us? Thank you for the manger. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Christmas, God. We sing to you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.